1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Thursday, we're going to preview USC and Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. we got a uh, special guest. Um, He's from BuckNuts.com. They're part of the 247 network covering Ohio State. Alex Gleitman. So he's going to join the show here in a few minutes. We're going to talk about USC and Ohio State. Um, Later on in the show, I will answer some of your questions that you have sent in over the past week about the USC Jordan football team. So we'll do that after uh, my interview with Alex. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or you can call us or text us at 424-254-9141. I do apologize. I'm a little bit under the weather. I got the flu. Uh, but we're going to kind of power ahead. It's in the middle of the early signing period. So that all kinds of crazy stuff has been going on. You heard the announcements uh, from – USC head coach Clay Helton uh, yesterday about the the new players uh, USC had signed. We'll try to do a recruiting podcast as well here coming up. But we wanted to give a preview of the Cotton Bowl, so that's why we're going to bring uh, Alex in. And before we jump into that, though, I wanted to thank our new sponsor, Indochino. So I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, pronounced Indochino. Uh, so what they do is they make custom-fitted suits and shirts, so I'm really excited to try this. I was actually scheduled to uh, go in um, to an Indochino store here in Los Angeles in Beverly Hills. It's actually right near uh, Rodeo Drive. It's a pretty cool area, and get fitted. But I got really sick, so I'm going to do that after I get back uh, from my travels, going to the bowl game and stuff like that. But um, so, but you don't need to do You don't need to be uh, near an Indochino store to go get custom fitted. You can get you can go to their website. And uh, get fitted for like shirts, suits, things like that. Uh, really easy instructions. All you just need is a friend with a tape measure to kind of help you out. They get these videos there that show you exactly what to do. So that looks pretty cool. So I'll probably do that too. But I wanted to go into the store and, and get that experience. But i um, really excited to have them be a part of uh, the Peristyle podcast. So what they what they do is they make it easy to get a suit made for your exact measurements at a great price. And you can choose from hundreds of top quality fabrics customize all the details uh like your jacket lining you can mo- get things monogrammed like a, a and a you know specific jacket lining you want you can do that your lapel all of that uh, you've seen them in all kinds of major publications like gq forbes fast company it's the largest uh, ma- uh made to measure menswear company now out there so what you can do is you g- like i said visit the showroom or go to indochino.com and you can do your shopping there pick a fabric Customize your customizations, um, choose your customization. sorry. Submit your measurements and then you can place an order and and then it'll arrive there in a couple of weeks. Um, So for our listeners here on the Peristyle podcast, any premium Indochino suit you can get for just $395 at Indochino.com when you enter USC at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price of a made-to-measure premium suit and shipping is free. So Indochino.com. Use promo code USC, any premium suit for just $359 in free shipping. Like I said, that's 50% off the regular price. It's an incredible deal. A suit that's going to fit you better than anything off the rack uh, ever could. So you're going to look better in a suit. It's funny. I kind of got rid of – I'm, I'm really – I'm glad that know came up because uh, I went through my closet. I remodeled my closets recently and uh, got. I've had suits that I had for like 20 years basically i bought like suits when i graduated from usc which god that's almost 25 years ago and uh those were the suits i had which is crazy so i do need to go uh and and get one so i'm I'm excited to go into the store in uh, beverly hills if you go to indochino.com it'll show you where if you're in a big city uh you know and, and they have a store you can go in get your measurements or like i said you can do it right on the website but uh thanks to indochino and I'm uh, looking forward to that. I'm sorry I couldn't get in there. Got a little sick this week, so I, I couldn't make my regular appointment. But I, I plan on going in there when I get back, and that should be a lot of fun. All right, and as promised, we're going to preview USC and Ohio State for the Cotton Bowl. We're going to bring in Alex Gleitman from BuckNuts.com. Follow him on Twitter at Alex Gleitman. It's G-L-E-I-T-M-A-N. So he's, uh, he's actually in New York City works for 247 does a lot of work uh on recruiting and covering the team for uh buck nuts at ohio state and we want to welcome alex to the peristyle podcast alex thanks for coming in man
0: hey thanks for having me super excited to be here this game is going to be an awesome one between two blue blood programs uh i can't say that uh all the ohio state fans that aren't going down to dallas will enjoy it as much as the usc fans due to the warm weather versus the cold in ohio right now but uh <laughs> Uh, it's exciting. I'm I'm excited to come on here and, and talk to you guys about it. It's going to be a a good, a good game.
1: Yeah, there's a, I mean there's some history between USC and Ohio State normally in the Rose Bowl, uh, but to have this one move over to the Cotton Bowl and it's just if people don't realize uh, the last two years Ohio State's been in the Fiesta Bowl and most people felt that if USC won the Pac-12, which they end up doing and didn't make the playoff, which also ended up happening, they would end up in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, and it seemed like that was the, the likely place for USC to end up, but because uh, Penn State was going to the Fiesta Bowl, USC's already played Penn State. Ohio State has played in the Fiesta Bowl the last two years. That sends USC out to the Cotton Bowl. And you know, to be honest, Alex, a lot of USC fans weren't exactly happy about it. It's a it's a Friday game instead of a Saturday game. It's a lot further trip to travel, and you know, during the holidays to go to Dallas as opposed to. Phoenix, so they're not all that happy. But that's your kind of understanding, right? That the Ohio State's played the last two years at the Fiesta Bowl, so they wanted to move them to a different venue.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think this is. I think they wanted this matchup. They wanted Ohio State versus USC, uh, as you know. I think as both fans of both pro- programs probably wanted that matchup too. If neither were going to make the playoffs, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl two years ago last year in the College Football Playoff. They obviously didn't have as much luck uh, against Clemson, uh, but I just think that they felt they wanted this matchup. It should be in Phoenix, but how many Ohio State fans would really travel for that game having been there the last two years? And Ohio State's played in the Fiesta Bowl a ton over the last, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years. I mean, I've personally been there four or five times myself just covering Ohio State games and things of that nature. Um, and I didn't even go the last two years. So uh, I think that was a, a main driver behind it is they wanted the matchup. They didn't want Ohio State and Phoenix. So where can they, you know, kind of where was the next best place to put it? And I guess it's Jerry World in Dallas. Uh, no better place than, than on that star.
1: Yeah, that that's a crazy stadium. I don't know if you've been there yet, but uh, USC went last year and got thumped by Alabama, actually, they were winning that game like halfway through the second quarter, but then just got boat raced after that. Um, so USC fans have been there last year. Uh, I, I think a lot of fans are going to end up going to this one. Bowl games, to me, are always a crapshoot. It's not like – if you played it the, the the very next weekend after the season, it would be one thing. But when you take like a month off, I think a lot of different things can happen. And then the motivation factor – um, I don't think USC felt like they were going to make the playoffs. So just going to a, a New Year Six Bowl is like kind of it's a good thing for USC. Ohio State certainly a lot of people felt should have been in the playoffs and would have been in the playoffs and were not. Um, how much of a factor do you think that'll be during, you know, bowl prep and all that with not being able to make the playoff and kind of uh, having a consolation prize being the uh, the Cotton Bowl?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I know it's obvious to say it goes one of two ways, but the way I, the ways I see it are Ohio State, you know, they won the Big Ten, they felt they should have been in the playoff, and so because they were left out, they kind of, as you said, just aren't as motivated, just, just they. you know, what are we really playing for here? We're not playing for the playoff, we're not playing for the championship, so, like, are we really that motivated to go out and play? But on the other hand... You know, you can you can have that mindset of we want to prove to the committee and everyone else in the country that they were wrong and we should have been in the playoffs. So we're going to come out here. and We're going to kick some butt um, because that's the only way to show people that they made a huge mistake. So, I, again, cliche, but I think it could go one of two ways. You would like to think that an Urban Meyer team, given, you know, how he's kind of a guy he was a psychology major, he he kind of this is his jam. Like he, he loves finding ways to inspire his team and getting them up to play. And, and what's the storyline and, and how can we, you know, how do we drive these guys to go that extra mile? Uh, so, so you would like to think it's, we want to prove everyone wrong that kind of doubted us and, and they should have put us in, not Alabama. But I mean, it, it's always hard to tell with these bowl games because they're, the, they're not meaningless to the players, but in the realm of Everyone's goal of making the national championship, making the playoffs, making the national championship and winning a national championship, they're ultimately meaningless. It's nice to give yourself some momentum going into next year. I think that's what these really games are for. They're springboards. But at the same time, I mean, you win the game, you lose the game, you're kind of still in the same place. You're not winning a national championship. You're not in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, there's definitely always that concern, and it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of plays out.
1: Yeah, I think it just adds to the variance. Bowl games, there's always a wild swing. You just don't know if a team's going to show up or not. And then you add, like, the playoff has become so important um, and so much focus on that. If it's not a playoff game, you just I think it just adds more variance there. Like, are people really – do they, the players really care? The coaches really care? The coaching carousel, all this kind of crazy stuff going on. I just – there's always this weird variance in bowl games that one team could be, like, as prepared as you've ever seen and play at the highest level, and another team looks like – they just took a month off and slept and didn't do anything. So I think this adds more variance to these, what's already kind of a crazy, you know, bowl game.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, as you said, it's always hard to predict. And especially now with the early signing period, uh, you know, being when it is, in addition to the holidays and a long break between when you played, there's just so many factors at play here. And it just feels like now, finally, with the early signing period and holidays, like once those are done, like, I know it's, it's crazy because they've had so much time to repair, but it's like it's really like this next week is where you buckle down and you really start to see kind of what to expect out of, you know, maybe, even if you could predict that, what to expect out of, you know, all these teams in the bowl games.
1: The uh, So the series between USC and Ohio State, there's some history there. 13, uh, 13 wins for USC, 9 for Ohio State, and uh, 1 tie. Um, but USC's won the last 7. Now, it's not like... Anything recent? The last time these two teams played was Pete Carroll era, two thousand nine, and uh, but they mostly you know they they've met in the Rose Bowl a bunch of times. I think the last time was like nineteen eighty four. Um, do you think? I mean, the, the record between the two teams—it's not recent history. It's nothing that players remember. I I wouldn't think it has much of a factor. Do you do you feel there's any factor there?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, as you said, it's so it's been so long since they played that I don't know how much the past games really. Play into this one. I think you talk about wanting to go out and beat another prestigious team. You shouldn't have to, there shouldn't be like, you know, you have to use anything as motivation. I mean, you should just want to go out there for the guys who are trying to, there's going to be tons of NFL scouts in this game. For the guys who are trying to, you know, improve their stock there and and show out, you should want to play well for that. You should want to play well because you want to win in general. And you want to kind of go out on a good note this year and start next year on a good note. But, you know, I guarantee you they're going to be playing whatever it was, the last seven games on loop in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center in Columbus to try to, you know, they're going to do anything they can to get these guys motivated. So <laughs> I'm sure they're going to bring it up a few times, you know, how USC has, has beaten Ohio State's uh, rear end, uh, you know, whatever it was the last seven times they, they've come out and played. And I know personally the last one stung Ohio State fans a lot. They were winning the whole game and then Matt Barkley and Joe McKnight, led a tremendous drive down on the, you know, on that last drive in the, in the final minutes to kind of come back and win when Matt Barkley was a freshman. So that one stung a little bit. I think the fans are probably going to hold on to those games more than maybe the players will, but I'm sure they're going to be made well aware of the recent history in, in, in the, in the matchup and, and kind of try to use that as, as fuel to the fire.
1: Yeah. I was down on the field uh, at the horseshoe for that one. Like it was, I think it was filming or taking photos or something, whatever that game. But yeah, that was a, that was kind of a crazy one. Um, so this is a pretty balanced Ohio State team. Uh they're the only team to nationally rank in the top 10 in both total offense and total defense. Um so they they also average uh at least 250 yards passing and rushing. So it's kind of crazy uh the balance there. I, I Clay Helton loves to talk about balance on offense. It's kind of something that he has to have Do you feel do you feel this is a team that's pretty pretty balanced on both sides of the ball this year?
0: Uh they're capable of being. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, I mean, they. It, they're a very interesting team. Ohio State's a very Jekyll and Hyde team this year. Um, you know, on one hand, they could come out, and, and it's even within games. I mean, they're they've just been inconsistent all year, and that's one of the reasons why I think the playoff committee left them out. I think they were scared that bad Ohio State was going to show up uh, against Clemson and get blown out again. So I think that you know this team is when they're on. They're pretty unstoppable. They could throw the ball. They could run the ball. They kind of spread it all over. They stretch the field horizontally. They stretch it vertically. They could beat you with a power run. They could beat you with a spread option run. Um, you know, there's a lot of intricacies to the offense, but you know, JT Barrett at times, like in the fourth quarter against Penn State has looked incredible as a passer. And then there's times where, you know, he's just looked completely incapable and, and you're, you're, you're sitting there looking at some of the throws he's making and saying high school high school players can make these throws and, and Barrett's not able to make these throws. And and I, I truly think this team goes as JT Barrett goes. If, if Barrett's on top of his game and he's sharp and he's confident in what he's doing, yes, they're a balanced team that's really tough to stop. If Barrett is average, Ohio State's a very beatable team and and you know they're going to rely on their run game. They're not going to be able to throw the ball as much. Um, and if he's bad... I mean, Ohio State is going to lose to USC if JT Barrett's bad. Uh, you can't. Urban Meyer tends to go into a shell when he's not throwing the ball well early, and they try to run the quarterback 20 times a game. And if that happens, statistics show that, you know, in most of their losses in the Meyer era, which there aren't many of those, uh, the quarterback is running more than the running backs. And it's because they go very conservative and they try to win almost like a Jim Trestle type of game where you try to win the game 17 16 or 2017 <laughs> by playing you know time of possession and keep away and things like that versus you know being more aggressive and doing the things this offense is capable of doing when it's running on all cylinders so I don't know what to tell you honestly long story short about what Ohio State is going to show in the Cotton Bowl but they've been up and down all over the place and I know that nets out to a pretty balanced team but you know within different games it's it's kind of been all over the board.
1: He uh, ended up having, uh, JT Barrett we're talking about, had surgery, knee surgery uh, before and still had a a pretty gutsy performance against uh, Wisconsin in the the Big Ten title game. Is it any problems with that? I mean, the fact that he was able to play so quickly after surgery, I thought was pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, that was incredible. I was pretty surprised at that. I I knew he was practicing and I knew that, um, you know, there was I knew I knew that that there was a shot he would. Be able to play, but you had your knee scoped on a torn meniscus or a popped out meniscus, whatever it was. Just a few days, you know, before playing in the Big Ten Championship game, and then your are full go without limitations on on Saturday. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, so from what I understand, he's going to be full go uh, for the Cotton Bowl. I'm sure you know there's minor pain management and stuff like that that you have to deal with, and they're being really smart with you know how they. Uh, you know, do his rehab and how many reps he's getting and things like that. He's obviously a fifth-year senior, so from a mental part of the game, I don't know how many – if he needs as many reps as a younger guy potentially would, but I would expect him to be full go for USC, and, you know, he's going to be the starter, and he's going to play, uh, you know, as in, unless he gets hurt again, he's going he's gonna to be there the whole way.
1: The uh, I think one of the key matchups is going to be USC's defensive front versus Ohio State's offensive line. Um Billy Price is obviously, uh, he won the Remington Award, right? Um, yeah. So he's, uh, I mean, he's really good. Uh, you know, you got to get the running game going. And, and of course, JT Barrett, if he does end up running a bunch or just protecting him in the passing game. I mean, what for USC fans, what are the kind of strengths of this Ohio State offensive line? Because it looks like it's a really good one. And, if, and if, I think if Ohio State controls the line of scrimmage, it's going to be really hard for USC to win this game.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is that's kind of been the strength of the Ohio State team down the stretch. Uh, they've ever since the loss to Iowa, which again is probably the, a big reason they got knocked out of the playoffs. But ever since that loss to Iowa, they kind of, I think, went back to themselves and looked in the mirror and said, "What do we need to build our identity on to to not have this happen again?" And it's the it's the run game. They have great running backs and J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. Obviously, JT, J.T. Barrett is a great runner and he runs the zone read, read option, as well as anyone I've seen uh, in college football do it. But, you know, none of that matters unless you have a great offensive line. And, you know, in a senior left tackle, Jamarco Jones, he'll be a pretty solid NFL draft pick this year. You obviously have Billy Price, who's projected to be a first-round draft pick and won, uh, you know, the Remington Award. And then you have uh, Isaiah Prince on the right side and then Michael Jordan, Demetrius, Knox, at the guard. They've all played really well down the stretch. They've helped Ohio State run for a ton of yards uh, in some of their biggest games. Uh, against Michigan State, against Michigan and Wisconsin, the Big Ten Championship. And they're definitely going to try to, you know, as you said, kind of go out and attack and, and and impose their will early on in the game against USC. And it, I, 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 I agree with you. I think if Ohio State – I think no matter what, whoever controls the line of scrimmage is going to win this game. That's generally how football games go. But I think if Ohio State's offensive line can impose its will and Ohio State can run the ball all day, uh, it's going to be a big problem for USC.
1: Yeah, I'm really – Anxious to see some of those uh, Ohio State running backs, especially Dobbins, man. He just looks special. <laughs> um, on the defensive side of the ball, so if USC fans aren't familiar, Nick Bosa was the uh, – uh, I think he was the Big, uh, the, uh, the Big Ten defensive lineman of the year, if I'm not mistaken, yes. and uh, led the You're team right. in sacks and uh, tackles for loss, six sacks and 12 and a half tackles for loss. Um, he's a stud. I mean, if you want to talk about him and maybe a couple of the other guys that are kind of standouts uh, for the Buckeyes on defense.
0: Yeah, well, coming into the, um, coming into the, uh, season, the strength of the, of Ohio State's team was thought to be the defensive line. I mean, Nick Bosa is, he's really good. I mean, I'm sure a lot of, uh, USC fans are obviously familiar with his brother Joey. He's killing it for the Chargers out there. Um, but, you know, Nick's a little bit of a different player. He's not, he's not as tall. He's not as long, but he's very similar in terms of his production. Uh, he's extremely explosive. He knows how to use his hands really well. especially for a sophomore, but just for anyone in general. Uh, He uh, can beat his man by bull rushing. He's got spin moves. He's got power moves, speed moves on the outside. He's really a sound player against both the the run and the pass. Um, And he can also – he's a guy who's versatile. He can move inside and kind of play like a three-tech or a five-tech defensive tackle type position. Um, So they do a lot of things and they move him around. and, And he's definitely someone to watch. He's, to me, by far Ohio State's best player on defense and I think he might be their best player overall on the team um, but you know you also have Taequann Lewis, Jalen Holmes and Sam Hubbard in that defensive line rotation. Ohio State rotates them pretty freely throughout the game uh, you know to keep them fresh so that you know come the end of the game they're wearing out the, the opposing offensive lines. Additionally uh, what they do is they have a rush man package so on third downs where it's obvious passing downs They'll put, for example, Bosa and Jalen Holmes on the inside with Taekwon Lewis and Sam Hubbard, who's going to be another uh, early entry NFL guy this year on the outside. And they'll have four defensive ends in getting after that quarterback, uh, not allowing him to get outside the pocket and giving them a better chance of a sack because, you know, those guys in Bosa and Holmes can, can square up with the bigger interior guys across from them. So Ohio State does a lot of really unique things on the, on the interior defensive front. They also rotate at least six guys a game. They like to keep their guys really fresh. They feel that they go two to three units deep. Um, so I think that's definitely something to look for in this game because that's the strength of the team. And I didn't even mention true freshman Chase Young, who was the number two overall player uh, for 24-7 sports last year. He's kind of emerged as a guy who's gotten a little bit more time. And then Jonathan Cooper, who's uh, who's a sophomore for Ohio State, uh, another five-star guy a couple classes ago. Um, those guys aren't even seeing the field that much, but when they do – when they do play, they flash, so uh, definitely a really deep unit that's that's going to be a, a challenge for that USC offensive line.
1: It's funny you mentioned five star, the number of five-star guys. USC and, and Ohio State are teams that are always in the top you know, five or whatever of the rankings, and uh, you said there can be Jekyll and Hyde up and down. I think USC does the same sort of thing where you can out-talent people a lot of the times, it's, but I like when you see teams like this play each other because – you're, they're the always teams that are, you know, ranked at the top, whatever, as far as the recruiting rankings go. Uh, you look down up and down the roster, and they're like, oh, that guy was a five-star, that guy was a four-star, five-star. And uh, so you don't get to see those teams play each other all that often. So that's, that's another aspect that makes this one interesting for me.
0: Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I mean, there's guys that, that both schools have recruited that the other one got. Like, you know, you look at a Wyatt Davis, for example, a kid from California last year. I know. You know, there was some smoke. He might go to USC late in the process and things of that nature. There's obviously like Porter Gustin for USC and, you know, just just old names that have been uh, that both fan bases will probably remember once it's kind of called to their attention. And it's going to be fun, too. I think this is I mean, it's not obviously colleges in the NFL, but when you get teams like USC and Ohio State or Alabama's and Clemson and you get those two teams to clash you're seeing a lot of guys who are going to go on to play to the NFL. And I think you get a really good product of football. And I'm really excited to see that because on both sides of the ball for both teams, you have a lot of really good players who were highly ranked recruits in high school.
1: And I do appreciate you coming on because it is the, the early signing period, um, which is, you know, strange that's happening right now. One of those players, I don't maybe you can give an update on how Ohio state did, but Jackson Carmen, who, uh, you know, top offensive tackle that USC and Ohio State were after hard. He ends up going to Clemson. The guy picks the national champion, man. That's, that's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, no, I
0: agree. I mean, I, I was actually extremely surprised when I got a text message this morning that Ohio State was told they were out. And then I was like, oh, well, he's going to USC. And then, you know, 10 minutes later I hear, well, he told USC he's out too. And then I'm like, what? And I asked Ohio State, where do you think he's going, USC? And they said, no, Cle- we think Clemson. And then five minutes later, we get the text saying he told Clemson he's coming. And it, it was it was shocking to me. Uh, obviously, it's, it's a bad beat for Ohio State. It's a guy that is in their backyard, and it's, it's a five-star kid. You have to get it. I know a lot of people aren't necessarily fans of, you know, always – I think he's a little bit of an immature type of kid. I think he needs to grow up for sure, and I think that will happen in college. So I think there's some people probably in Ohio State's building and USC's building that aren't too upset that they don't have to deal with a little bit of a knucklehead uh, – early on in the process. But at the end of the day, obviously, all three of those schools would have loved to have had Jackson-Carmen. And it was definitely a unique situation. I, I thought for sure he was blowing smoke with the USC stuff, which it turned out he was. It just was for Clemson, not for Ohio State. I, I truly thought Clemson was out of it. I thought it was a two-team race. And I was fairly confident uh, this morning that it was going to be Ohio State for Jackson-Carmen. So that one was a big surprise. And it was part of a day that's you know somewhat disappointing for Ohio State. They They still have the nation's number one class, but there's a decision pending in uh, Jaden Woodby, and it could be USC, it could be Ohio State, it could be Florida State. And it would be really crazy if Ohio State misses out on both uh, Woodby and Jackson Carmen, and that neither of them go to USC either. Because I think these fa- fans have been going back and forth that, you know, uh, we're going to get this guy, we're going to get this guy, and then we're going to beat you in the bowl game. But it might turn out that neither of them gets any of those players, <laughs> which is pretty ironic and, and kind of funny to me.
1: Yeah, that is a little strange. Uh, one last thing before I let you go, uh, Alex Gleitman uh, from Buck Nuts. You can follow him on Twitter, at Alex Gleitman. Pretty easy. Um, special teams, just talk about that a little bit. People ignore it all the time. USC was pretty good last year when they had a Dory Jackson. He's gone, and they've really been poor, I think, on most aspects of special teams. They had a couple big plays, but for the most part, it's been uh, – Giving away hidden yards, giving up returns, not being able to return the football, things like that. it's, just, it's been kind of like a comedy of errors there for USC and special teams. How has the Buck, the Bucknuts? How have the Buckeyes special teams uh, been performing this year?
0: Uh, that's another kind of touchy area for Ohio State. They've been they've definitely been inconsistent. Um, you know they they've had their problems with actually more than anything kickoff unit. Um, what urban Meyer actually likes to do is he likes to kick the ball high and pin teams at about the one yard line in the corner. And he has his team load up on the left side and basically, uh, cause to him with the touchback being at the 25 yard line now, instead of the 20, when that rule changed a few years ago, it's an advantage to stop your guy inside the 25. So Ohio state over the, you know, since urban Meyer has been here, that's their strategy and they've had great success in stopping teams, really, not even inside the 25, but inside the 20, uh, using the strategy, kicking it high, stacking everyone to the left, and, uh, you know, being able to make a tackle before even the 20-yard line. As I said, this year, they've had trouble, first off, executing the kick. So their kickers haven't done, they've kicked the ball out of bounds a bunch. Uh, They kicked it through the end zone when they're not supposed to. Maybe they haven't kicked it high enough. Uh, Maybe they didn't kick it far enough. But there's been a lot of issues. They've actually, at different times, rotated three kickers. They're back to their original kicker, who's a true freshman in Blake Aubiel. And they've definitely been better the last few games. But that's something to look forward to, because not only has the kick execution been poor, but because of that, the results in the return game have been poor. They actually allowed a kick return for a touchdown against Maryland, and they allowed a kick return for a touchdown against Penn State. Uh, Saquon Barkley returned the opening kick. So... Uh, you know, this, that's something to watch for sure. I mean, the coverage units are really good. Their punting unit's really good. It's the kickoff unit has been extremely disappointing this year, and it's something that you I guarantee you Ohio State's been working on during Bowl Pro. All
1: right. That's Alex Gleitman uh, doing a great job with Buck Nuts, and uh, we really appreciate him coming on the Parastyle Podcast to share some insight on the Ohio State Buckeyes. should be a classic. Uh, everyone's looking forward to this one, the Cotton Bowl. Uh, be down in Dallas, so looking forward to that. Well, Alex, th- thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me on. Uh, have a great one. Ha- happy holidays, everyone, and uh, looking forward to an awesome game between two storied programs.
1: All right, that was Alex Gleitman. Uh, happy holidays to him and everyone else out there. We appreciate him coming on and uh, talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes. I wanted to spend the last uh, several minutes of this podcast. Um breaking down some of the questions you guys have had, answer them and uh, talk about the team, the ball prep and all that. And just let people know, we actually, I was recording this, or I am recording this on uh, Wednesday. So it's still during signing day. So we've, we've heard the, the, the Carmen announcement to Clemson earlier, but we haven't heard the would be one yet. So um, yeah, so that's, this is a Thursday podcast, but I'm recording it on Wednesday cause I'm traveling on Thursday. So just to let people know, what were if they were, It sounded a little weird because there was an announcement that by the time this comes out, people will know uh, where those prospects were going to be. So, but thanks again to uh, Alex for coming on. Let's. Uh, I'll go to Jordan B first. He said, "Is the recruitment of Marquise Step a sign that the Trojans might be using a fullback on short yardage plays or moving to a two back set?" Um. So Marquise Step actually signed Wednesday uh, with USC. And no, i don't think that's I don't think that's moving towards a fullback. I don't think he's a fullback i, I yeah i no, I don't think so um I, as far as two back sets go, I mean we saw a few more of them uh in the the championship game. I don't think it's going to be a staple of this offense if they i think that would take it, just you know signing a a high school prospect. I don't think it's going to change their offensive philosophy unless they were bringing in like a specific fullback um their offensive philosophy is what it is. Now, Tyson Helton's going to be gone. Um, does T. Martin make some changes? We'll see. There might be some tweaks, but I, I wouldn't think, Jordan, it's based on uh, signing of a prospect. And then, two, any word on replacing Tyson Helton? Um, no, they're not focused on that really at all. Um, I did a feature on Brian Ellis, uh, who's uh, worked with Tyson Helton before and has basically taken over for him. He ended up calling plays for Western Kentucky last year. Uh, you know, in the bowl game, same thing when uh, when the head coach left. So, um, I thought he did a good job there. We'll see, you know, how he's doing this week. But I put a feature up; you can kind of get to read a little bit about him more and uh, see what he had to say. But yeah, they—I don't think they're going to focus on that really much at all until, um, you know, after the bowl game and all that. So no, no update there. Maybet from Ontario. In case this question hasn't been asked and answered, given the 28-day gap between the Pac-12 championship game and the Cotton Bowl, how do you keep the kids focused on winning the Cotton Bowl? There are so many distractions at this time of year, finishing up the semester, enjoying the, the holiday season with family and friends. Do you think teams generally play better with a short or longer break between their final game and the bowl game? Maybe. Yeah, so that's that's always a, a tough thing. We talked about, you know obviously, with Alex, talked about that a little bit. Uh, in the beginning of the show, or you know, during his interview, I always think, I mean, bowl games are just, It's. I don't think it's a great indication of what that team has been like. Because when you take a lot of time off, you just don't know. Um, teams change throughout the season, and they look different from week two to week 11. Sometimes they're great in the beginning of the season, and they kind of stink at the end. The problem with the bowl game is that you don't always look like you look by the end. like By the end of the season, I think teams are fairly consistent. You're seeing what you're seeing those last four or five games. But the bowl game is a, is a crapshoot. Like, you just don't know. You don't know what to expect because you do take that time off. And I think it's up to the coaches to kind of be able to prepare teams and come out and play play well. And I think if you look at USC, they didn't come out and play well two years ago in the Holiday Bowl. Now, that was after firing a bunch of the staff, and that was kind of a crazy situation. And then they played pretty well. And the Rose Bowl, obviously, got the win. The middle of the game, though, they played like crap as far as the defense giving up seven straight touchdown drives and, and four straight plays that led to touchdown, There were touchdowns. Um, but, you know, I think it's up to the coaches to be able to kind of manage that. So what USC did is took some time off, then got back on the practice field and, you know, had like kind of a couple weeks of practice at USC. They'll do a week of practice in Dallas. And go from there. Um, Now the criticism with USC is that they're not practicing hard enough. They did one practice in full pads, which I like. That Um, could they have done more? Probably, but you know they didn't do any more this week. So it's it is what it is. It's just there's different philosophies. Coaches have different philosophies on how you prepare, and you're not sure if they're going to work or not until you see the the results. And you know maybe the philosophy was really good, the preparation was great, and the team still comes out and plays like crap or the preparation was poor, it was poorly planned and somehow the team comes out and plays well. It's just, it's just really hard to say, but yeah, it's a, it's a very, um, I I don't think it's a great, if you're trying to reward a team or, or judge a team on their whole season, even for the playoff teams, taking all that time off before is, uh, I don't think it's a great indicator. Um, if you, you know, it just logistically wouldn't work. But if you could play these games right after the season, I think it'd be a much better indication of what those teams are. Just sometimes a team takes a month off and they look like crap, you know? So that's just the way it is. Don said, give Amon Ross St. Brown a big, uh, I don't know, He's some camp. F- yeah, I don't know what he's saying here. Fight. On, then he says fight on. Uh, when he signs or you interview him, I was concerned about his attitude at the opening, which appears a little bit over the top. But listening to an interview, he speaks German. Okay, so he was giving me some German, Don. Sorry, I don't, I don't, I don't read German. Um, and I'm sick, so I'm not even going to try. He speaks German at home with his mother, probably French, which uh, trying to get a date in English for football. He seems to be a great addition to the Trojan family. Are there any current Trojans who speak several languages? The Polynesians most likely... And who else from Don? Okay. Um, so I don't think I'm on Brown was signing today. I think he's going to be a February guy. Uh, but USC's got a good chance of getting him. He's a, a five-star receiver from modern day high school. Um, as far as multiple languages, I think Wally, Batiku. Uh, I think he speaks a bunch of languages and I'm kind of blank on anybody else. So, uh, yeah, that's uh but yeah, I, I love seeing that. I love when, you know, like when Kobe Bryant, you know, came to the Lakers, he just got his, you know, two numbers retired. That's always kind of a positive thing, like, oh wow, this guy speaks a bunch of languages. So um my brain is not working all that great. So but the one I could think of is uh, uh Wally Patiku. I think he speaks uh several languages. Let's uh this is a question. I think he meant it for Coach Harvey Hyde, but uh we've we're not gonna have him on next week, so I'll just play it for you and do my best to answer it. Here you go. Hello,
2: Ryan, Coach Hyde. Merry Christmas to you both and your staff. Um, This is Ed Duncan up in the high desert. I want to wish our boys all the luck in the world in the Cotton Bowl. I just wanted to offer a little advice from what I've observed. I remember bitterly the Texas game, how Pete made a mistake going soft on defense the whole game, and he gave Vince Young the option of pass, run, run, pass. You can't do that with mobile quarterbacks, skills Most of these kids are tailbacks playing quarterback. You've got to make them one-dimensional. They're better runners than passers, so go with the lesser evil. And I hope USC does that, and if T. Martin calls a smart game, I think USC's got a great chance of uh, beating Ohio State. The teams are, are, are really pretty equal if you look at the talent and it's going to come down to coaching. So uh, I wish the men with Troy the best of luck and wish all of you guys a Merry Christmas.
1: Ed Duncan out. Well, Merry Christmas to you, uh, Ed, as well. Uh, thanks for the question. And, yeah, you know, I think if you watch what Clancy Pendergast likes to do um, against really mobile athletic quarterbacks, like if you saw what he was doing with Khalil Tate, I do think he's more willing to put his secondary uh, for right, whatever good or bad, he'll put them out on islands on their own and let them cover guys one-on-one and really kind of focus on putting some pressure on uh, the quarterback and, you know, forcing him to try to run and, uh, and, you know, or or forcing him to, to beat you with his arm and make some plays into, you know, what you hope is tight coverage, one-on-one coverage. Um, not sitting back in some kind of zone and letting him run all you know run all over you while you're trying to cover everybody. I think he's definitely willing to do that, and I think you'll see that's probably going to be the case here. Um, now this is a a different kind of runner than I think USC's faced all year, and he's a big guy. Even if you get somebody there, he's you know he can you know break away and 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 if you don't contain, I think he can really hurt you. And I I kind of getting the feeling like that uh, Barrett's going to have some success running the football uh, against USC. And Urban Meyer is not afraid to run him. They've, he's been criticized for running him too much. Uh, but if you're having success, then it looks pretty good. Um, that's going to be one of the keys for me is, like, can USC contain him? Even, you know, I think they're going to try to, like, take away him as a runner. And the problem is going to be if he still runs anyway. Um, but I, I think that's going to be the plan, and we'll see going forward what what clancy has dialed up we got sc list in seattle my comment today is more wishful thinking than anything else i hear so much about usc staff shakeups but if that does occur why not consider bringing in mark carrier back to coach the dbs he appears to be an excellent secondary coach would love to hear your comments on this if nothing else he'd be a great addition to the sports staff sc list in seattle yeah um I haven't followed Mark's career. Uh, I think this came up on an earlier podcast too, um, his coaching career and stuff. But I mean, that's USC does tend to bring in people that they know, uh, former players and things like that. So I think his name would come up. I mean, I would think if you're looking, if uh, for some reason they're you know getting a new, if you're implying about getting a new secondary coach, um, I mean, I would definitely look at the resume more than. Uh, the role like like the Rolodex who you know or who you're familiar with like if you, what I, I loved what they did with DeLa McCullough. I mentioned this millions of, millions of times go get a good running back coach not someone you know not someone that you're familiar with or a former USC running back or anything just go get a good running back coach and it's worked out well so if you have to get a new secondary coach go get a great secondary coach like if he happens to be a former USC player fine but look at the resume first more than anything I would suggest. Steve in Seattle. Guys, Cotton Bowl, Woohoo. hoo uh, Over-under on Rojo passing Ricky Bell, so he's 3,689 yards. And over-under passing Anthony Davis, 3,724 yards. Uh, big lift, but hey, he's at home. OSU probably will try to shut down the run, but the Texas Tesla's got skills. Rojo has 3,555 yards, I think. Okay, so he would need, um, what in the one thirty-ish or a range or so to pass Ricky Bell, and then a, a whole lot, uh, like two, uh, what, uh, yeah, like one hundred and eighty or something to, to pass uh, Anthony Davis. Um, yeah, I don't know about either of those. I kind of think he gets like a hundred. 105, something like that. I, that's kind of my guess, but you know we'll see. That's a really, really good defensive front for Ohio State. And uh, if they want to try to take away the run, I think they can be a lot more effective doing that. So it might end up being that they're going to give Rojo the ball sometimes, but it's, it, to win, USC's going to have to have Sam Darnold beat them with their arms. So uh, He says, also, does the new Coliseum have a peristyle? Uh, it's not going to change the podcast name, Steven Seattle. I kind of felt like that we had this before. Um, no, like the peristyle is still going to cha- be there. So the peristyle is always going to be part of the Coliseum. The peristyle will always be the premium message board on uscfootball.com. And this podcast is going to be the peristyle podcast. Even if they blow up the Coliseum and start something new, we'll still be the peristyle podcast. All right. We got one last one. Uh, SC made. He said, Ryan mentioned briefly exploring the big 12, Uh, with John. Okay, so this is about the, I went on with uh, John Wilner to talk about USC exploring independence and potentially uh, joining the Big 12, something like that. He said, although I prefer the independent Notre Dame slash NBC path better, is there an option for USC to be affiliated with the Big 12 for football only, or would it have to be with all sports? USC having direct access to Southern California and Texas from a recruiting point of view would be scary in all caps um so yeah so sc made as far as that goes uh i think if you're gonna join the big 12 it would be for all sports um but you know all these things are just i think they're just ideas i think they're feasible ideas that you can explore if you're usc um i really feel that you by doing that you give yourself at least some options and maybe you look at the big 12 and like there's 10 reasons why it would work and three that why it wouldn't and the why it wouldn't are small compared to the 10 that that are, that said it would. And Hey, financially it makes sense, whatever. All right. You could at least entertain that idea or there's some other ideas that are like, you know what, for this and this and this and this, it's just not going to work. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, of options there. And you know, Dan Weber, we talked about it yesterday on on the show with him. We kind of ended the podcast on talk about the Pac-12. It's something that you know if USC looks at for real and sees how feasible these things are. At least it's a it's a, a chip that you can leverage with the Pac-12. You're like, look, we'd rather stay, but you got to make some changes. And here's the changes we want. And if not, here's our option. And we know it's going to work. We vetted this. We we saw that um, we would prefer to stay in the Pac twelve, but we have some demands, you know, and if they don't want to meet the demands, then you you have a feasible option to do something else. And uh like I said, I don't I don't think USC's even really explored that, which I feel they should, and they haven't. Um, but I think it's something to at least look at. Uh he said, uh okay, so that's from SC made. Thank you for that one. Okay, so as you can hear my voice is is pretty much dying. Um what we want to try to do. Thanks again to Alex for coming on and previewing the show. I would like to get a uh, a recruiting podcast up, and so I might have like Keely and Gerard do that because I don't think I'm going to be able to. I'm going to be traveling tomorrow, so hopefully they. I mean, uh, traveling well the day today Thursday. Um, hopefully they'll be able to do that, but if not, we'll 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 try to get one going next week. It's always a little crazy right now with Christmas. This signing day has really put a you know. Change the, our schedule, you know, what we sp- should be doing because it's, you know, an extra signing day, uh, getting for the bowl prep and all that kind of stuff. But um, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. My voice being all bad and everything. But uh, thanks to Alex for coming on. Uh, that was cool. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you, if you're traveling for the holidays, safe travels. If you're traveling down to Dallas for the bowl game, certainly safe travels for that.